This is Creators in Vietnam with Tuesi and Moni. We aim to inspire you on your journey by interviewing creative entrepreneurs across Vietnam who make a positive impact on their community and their own lives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In this episode, we're taking the time to have a meaningful conversation with Kitty from The The House. She shares with us her journey in understanding and accepting her own rhythm through her life's tribulation while strongly following her inner voices and guidance. Through processing and discussing some of her past traumas, she realized that Vietnam still needed tools to practice love and understanding in the everyday life. And this is why she created The House, in order to bring meaningful conversations to Vietnam so that more of us will talk and think gently about things that matter. She exemplifies living at her own pace, always taking the time to slowly and gently bring forth deep and meaningful topics. And we were so grateful at the podcast to be able to receive her and share this conversation. So we hope you enjoy. This time we're going to start the episode a little bit different by first going through this practice. And we call it the, the ritual. It's a practice where we can center ourselves before entering something that is important for our heart. And since we all want to be very sincere and to show up for this conversation, so this is just perfect. And feel free to join the ritual wherever you are. <laughs> and now on to us. Let's close our eyes. And I will invite you to take seven deep breaths. So even though the invitation for the deep breathing practice was freestyle, but you can feel that just this little pause makes a world of a difference where you can let go of the pace of everyone else and yeah, tune into your own pace. So the next step of this ritual is that we're gonna share our in intention for this next one hour and a half so invite up your intention for this conversation and you can open your eyes and you can share it with one another should i start i uh, want to have an open-hearted discussion and discovery of who you are i want to listen intentively and have a meaningful conversation My intention is to show up bravely at my own pace so that you can see the true me. Beautiful. So welcome to Creators in Vietnam. As you can see, you had a very different intro today. It was Kitty from the, the project yes. that uh, was giving us her the, the ritual mm. on how to be centered at the beginning of any meeting or conversation especially when they're important and deep mm -hmm. and uh, meaningful. So we're back here with Tracy as your host and Moni, 
obviously. There is only the two of us now. I don't think we need to say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're joined today by, with Kitty. You're the founder of Tattoo Project. We will talk about it a little bit later in the interview. But just to jump in right away into the episode, I just want to ask you a little bit about your origin story mm. <laughs> or a bit about your upbringing. So in your intro, I mean, if I if I was to read a little bit of the big paragraph, like you were born in Balop. Mm. Uh, Balop is right, right next to Dalat, is that right? Yes. And then you moved to Saigon actually when you were four years old. Mm. Did that impact you in any way? Mm. So Balop is a small town on the mountains that are like a lot of you know of as Dalat. Mm. So whenever my family goes back to Bello and we spend a few days there, we all always consider it as like a retreat because the lifestyle there is so different. It's like you just arrive and you can feel the pace as if everything slows down and people hang out on the street more often and when you're in this space where people moves at a certain pace it tames you and so moving having this pace and then moving to the city which is Saigon where the pace is very different I see myself moves differently like the way I flow the way that I talk and the way that I walk it's a little bit slower <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like at this note of chillness it's like i'm still listening to the rhythm of my hometown when i have already moved like perhaps like to to the unit to, uh, to the u to the u.s or mm -hmm. like whatever but yeah i'm at this pace where i'm very tuned in to this um or origin mm -hmm. so you feel like you carried yeah the pace of uh, your home mm -hmm. the original hometown yeah. with you when you moved to Saigon mm -hmm. yes. so how you have to change your pace how was it for you to mm -hmm. have this transition amazing question honestly I don't change my pace <laughs> 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 I think using Baolau as a geographic point to explain the pace that I have it doesn't tell the whole story because a lot of people in Bella moves at different pace of course but it lends me a tool to poetically introduce how all of us we have this pace this inner compass where we move at different rhythm so to let a person experience how they want to take in the world at their own pace there is so much compassion and insight and wisdom and self-understanding because you know that you don't move at the same pace with the rest of the world mm -hmm. yeah if i read through your introduction i'm just going to give the bullet points for the audience but it seemed that you actually read the bible when you were seven for fun you went to church on sunday although your family wasn't christian You went to the American school in Saigon at 18, and then you went to the to Seattle in the U.S. Mm -hmm. to study anthropology. Then uh, you uh, went to Tokyo, mm -hmm. and then you went to Kathmandu, mm -hmm. and then you ended up in Plum Village. Mm -hmm. And in the way you're writing and the way you had your upbringing, there is an element of extra of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. 
extraordinary <laughs> <laughs> that really defines what I'm reading right here. Like what sparks the curiosity of a seven-year-old girl mm. to read the Bible? I mean, the Bible has a very, very difficult language. It's not something you read in the afternoon. Even people who read it a lot, it's for them, it's even still hard to understand. Mm -hmm. So what was it in you? Yes, thank you for appreciating this meanness. It's something about the pace. Yeah, it goes back to the pace. Mm -hmm. It's something about the inner rhythm. And it's something about this stubbornness to be you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that carries you to places that you wouldn't know they would be miracles to your life. You wouldn't know that they make sense. Like when I was reading the Bible, it was just out of curiosity mm -hmm. and went to Sunday church. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> it was crazy to my family. I was blessed that I didn't question myself. Yeah, I, I was just following this intense voice inside of me that calls me to do certain things. And I think it has to do with my quiet composure, mm -hmm. but in a way that it's very subtle. And the way I talk, like my volume and also my height and frame, mm. it gives me the anchor to dive deeper for the calling that is within. It's not to say that if people speak loudly or they're big in frame, then it will be harder for people. I think all of us have different like entrance to hear this secret whisper that only you can hear and my entry ticket is through being quiet and being subtle tuning in and for some people if your pace is faster and you love concerts and loud places then perhaps the ecstasy of fun and of entertainment is your ticket entry hmm. to understanding the miracles of life that only you can see because you are given these materials mm -hmm. yeah that only yeah only you can find out and only you can utilize mm. it also sounds to me like uh, in, you listened clearly to your own intuition mm. and follow mm. that mm. and i'm also curious to hear more about how you tap into it because we all born that way mm. but the noise of the, our surrounding the noise of others the noise of institutions that's the noise that actually make us not hear mm. the voice of intuition for a very long time i didn't know this was special like i didn't special not as in like a strength that only some can have but everyone has this but it's well i didn't know it was different yeah extraordinary um. <laughs> <laughs> that's how i say everything that is not normal now extra of the ordinary <laughs> it's um. a very positive word <laughs> i like it yeah <laughs> thank you yeah. i have stories of being bullied for for not laughing when everyone else is laughing Mm, because I process and I take in that information differently. 
the vibe that you carry is implicit but it enters everything that you do so when people like when you step into the room and people do know whether you're like them or not and when you don't carry the same vibe a lot of the times people cannot relate <laughs> yeah and as a kid that was a very hard thing to carry being misunderstood by your peers and also misunderstood also by your parents so for a long time i didn't think it was a blessing <laughs> i didn't think about it at all actually like i didn't think it was because of this weird vibe that i have but i internalized it as i am not kind like i was rude that i didn't join in and for some time i did revise strategies that protected me from feeling this way like feeling so horrible to be cut off from your peers and the people around you so i did blend in i did sometimes lie about my background or lie about how i felt i laughed when when others were laughing but the constant mentor that guided me back was the struggles that i felt inside mm. i just didn't feel good we don't feel good when we're not being ourselves and i knew that this is not how i wanted to live and my uh, father is a big believer in books because he also changed his life through the eyes of knowledge through books and so i read books first i read books that were given uh, to me by my father and for a while i had the same view as my father as in i would be an entrepreneur i would travel the world and i would be a millionaire and <laughs> 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 that ambitious dream of making a difference in the world and being rich and successful and so i was living at my father's pace reading my father's books but then there was a story of uh, me meeting a poet and it was a family trip and we travel with a friend who was a poet and i saw how he looked at the world i was 14 at that time and we we traveled together to taibak which is an area where there are lots of minorities it's an area where different cultures were still contained and was not yet in vietnam oh in vietnam okay, yes. what yeah. was the name of taibak it's an area i see yeah um, was north of vietnam <laughs> so just like okay yeah and the people there they moved at a different pace and you could clearly see how they communicate they didn't talk so much like we do <laughs> but they would communicate love through gestures and how their eyes are softened if they want to tell you that they love them or they would sing and stuff like that and so i saw how we could communicate so differently and at the same time how this poet processed the world mm -hmm. through also experiencing the same thing that i did my family did 
we were being tourists. We would come there and take pictures and go to places that were recommended, like highly recommended, and check out stuff. Whereas this poet, like he talked to the locals, he wrote poems, and he was <laughs> different. And that was the time when I started to question myself and my family at that time was perhaps our definition of success and happiness is not a universal definition of these terms because look at this poet who you saw as not successful and he wasn't making a living and he was like he wasn't responsible but he was clearly happy and he was successful in the way that he was recognized in the work that he did and then on the other side these people who were living on the mountains they were so gentle with the way that they live and they love and i really wish at that time that these people wouldn't change and it would break my heart to see that they question their own values and mm -hmm. try to redefine their the terms success and happiness the way that my family was defining mm. that. And that was one turning point. And those little snippets of looking at the world and seeing how others experience the world differently informed my understanding how things can be so much more liberating and how I can experience more and I can pick and filter the ones that really speak to me and I don't have to comply to one definition of anything. Wow, your, your story really resonates <laughs> with me because I've been through the same thing in my life. I mean, not necessarily the same way, but what you're describing is about we're born with a certain identity, you mm. call it also pace, mm. and then we 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 grow up and we, we, we want to be part of a community like school or at home, family, and we try to blend in. Mm -hmm. And we, we think that there is something wrong with us just because we are not uh, following the same popular ideas or popular trends. And as you said, you labeled yourself weird or and then you try to bend your own personality mm. to just fit in and then when you met that poet you had this realization that actually he can't decide for himself who he wants to be mm. and then that's your realization that you can be who you are truly that person who is introspective who take things slowly who mm. just enjoy life differently and then define success not in terms of money possession but more in terms of expressing yourself the way you mm. want to did you have any type of support system or any type of guidance mm. or was it just you and um, the books that you were reading at that time mm. i want to expand our understanding of support system a little bit by introducing the family of support system we have inside ourselves and this is, I don't know if you are familiar with this, but this concept was clarified a lot more in the, in psychology mm -hmm. by Dr. Richard Schwartz. I'm not sure if I pronounce it well, but he created this term called internal family system. The understanding behind this is you have many parts of you that exist within 
think of what you would call multi-personality person. Mm -hmm. So that is you as well. Like you have multi-personalities, but you are not so fractured in the way that they are, they exist in isolation. So you have different parts inside of you and as a normal person. And all of these parts are trying to protect you in their own ways. Mm. Um, yeah. And so at any single point in time, these parts inside of you are trying to help you and they're trying to give you signals like by being resentful or raging or regretting and they're prying for your attention to look at them and see why does that part of you is needing love right now and needing understanding right now and so whenever you feel that you're not attuned in tune and centered then you know that a part of you is giving you signals Mm. Yeah. Mm, that's and, so interesting. Yeah, but you have to be open enough to receive the message. And sometimes you listen to them and then you forget and then you listen to them again. It's on and off and on and off and it's about intention and attention. Mm. So you have to be very mindful like moving through life to remember to center yourself and looking within like asking your personal systems personal family are you on the right path i just really like what you are saying mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. kind of internal voice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i like it that you make it more like personalities within you mm -hmm. and we can also call it the internal voice mm -hmm. that uh, telling you it's not okay you know those times like oh i should not feel this way no i shouldn't i should show love rather than resentment mm -hmm. they have their points and <laughs> they're not crazy I'm very ashamed, but the whole time I was thinking of Inside Out, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, so pop culture. <laughs> I was like, so bad. I was like, no, Twacy, think of something more. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, uh, I, liked, I liked that flow. Let's jump to your studies in Seattle. You chose anthropology mm. and comparative history of ideas. Please tell us more about this. That's all I'm going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so in my anthropology classes there are not a lot of Vietnamese and there are not not a lot of international students because we are pressured into doing things that are practical mm. yeah I know that yeah. <laughs> like imagine telling my parents like I'm guys I'm gonna become an anthropologist how do you become a millionaire then <laughs> <laughs> which one would you rather how can you be successful then <laughs> One thing about international students and people who didn't have the time and the awareness that they perhaps could choose the things that actually speak to them. I want to bring this up and want to bring some more compassion into the conversation by pointing out that when I... During my time abroad, even in Seattle, which is a very liberal state, sometimes, and even with my circle, within my circle of friends, we still have this connotation that 
well, international students, they're just following what their parents want them to do and they don't participate, they don't open up and a lot of misunderstanding between the two groups because on the side of the Vietnamese who are abroad, when you're 18 or even younger and you are brought to a completely different nation and you have to survive on your own it's so scary it's so terrifying to to open up and to flourish the way that you truly wish to it's not to blame the external like environment that i am this because i didn't have this but it's to say that we can be gentle on ourselves and we can be gentle on each other yeah, okay. like, what okay. would be your advice to those who feel lost because you found your passion let's say your love for anthropology but i was one of those who well what could be useful mm. <laughs> that yeah. was my starting point yeah. for choosing a major mm. and i just went for business mm. administration you know that big pot of <laughs> business people busy students who don't know what they want to do in life. Mm -hmm. So let's make ourselves useful. So we study business. So what would be your advice for mm -hmm. those who kind of in that path mm -hmm. and want to do something that they love, but they might find that it's not useful in society's standard? Mm -hmm. For the people who are choosing business major because you just didn't know what else to choose <laughs> i would say it's okay yeah it's okay to keep going on this journey like for example still learning business but while you're at it check in on yourself tune in perhaps journal write about mm -hmm. it and check in on how you feel when you come to class and when you check in with yourself you're having this conversation with yourself and this conversation will lead you to amazing places because you might find out that oh actually you love marketing or actually you love dance <laughs> but you have to be willing to accept the answer that this conversation mm. give you if along the way you find out that the path that you're walking is not what you truly want then be open to invite new things into your life so be willing to be brave it's so true what you are saying it's about anything in life whatever being through whether it's about our career or whether it's about a relationship what you are saying that we always have to turn internally and ask how does this situation this person this subject makes me feel and be brave to respond <laughs> because let's face it it's not easy to answer mm -hmm. and sometimes it's scary to say it out loud because then we feel like we need to commit I had the word self-compassion. Everything that you're saying is very deep. And I think a lot of the audience can, will take the message out of that. On my personal level, it was really hard for me to be brave because safety for me was bowing down to my father's will. Mm -hmm. 
And so when the identity is so tied up to survival, it's really hard. I was an international student from France to Canada. My father was paying like, I think like twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year for my international studies. And I studied photography because I did not know what to do with my <laughs> life. <laughs> so this whole discussion is making me really rethink of those moments in where why why I couldn't make a choice for myself, why I couldn't be self-compassionate because I wasn't safe with myself. I was only safe in surviving the the words of my father. Like, you know, I was trying to dodge the the failure. I was so scared of that. And it's very interesting. Sorry, I'm, I'm also flowing out of control here. <laughs> <laughs> Let me bring back the conversation. So you came back to Saigon after a short meditation retreat at Plum Village. That's in France. Is that right? I went to the one in Thailand. Ah, I see. Yes. Yeah. In my head, it was like the one in France. Sorry. Yeah. And so how was... so? I guess what what led you to want to go to Plum Village, and how was the experience? And if for the audience that don't know what Plum Village is, would you care to explain? Mm. Plum Village carries the vision that um, we can experience silence and peace when we create the environment. And so Thai Thetnyakhan and his community opened these villages around the world. It's a place where people can come to experience this environment of serenity and of compassion. Plum Village is a little bit different from a lot of pagodas and mm. Buddhist centers where when I was there, there is a schedule where we wake up at four <laughs> and then we go to the meditation center and then we practice walking meditation until uh, the sun is fully up. Then we would do silent eating for 20 minutes so that we can tune into the food and feel grateful about the food that is nourishing our bodies and yeah so the the schedule goes on with this culture of peace that would facilitate the kind of serenity that would take place if you follow these rituals the difference between plum village and other buddhist centers or retreats is that you can follow this ritual or not follow it <laughs> and they don't say explicitly that you can opt out, but there is no one rushing you to be at the meditation center mm -hmm. when it's time. And you can just sleep in and people are happy about it because you're taking care of yourself the way that it needs. So that's the difference. It's just that they set up this ritual of living so that you can experience these wonderful feelings and it's the same with what we were talking about which is be brave mm -hmm. with compassion it's that you give you you give yourself the liberation of choice like that you actually don't have to do anything mm -hmm. <laughs> and only when you feel that you are so free that you actually walk without being conditioned mm. Mm. so you went to japan 
at some point for your studies. And I know you had experienced sexual harassment and it's very important for you to share um, this story. So mm. I just wanted to uh, give you the mic on that. Yes. It's awkward when you just come up and let others know that you were sexually harassed and that this is something that that you, that let's talk about this and that's exactly why <laughs> i know it's so important to be talking about topics like this like what really happened uh, mm -hmm. at that time mm -hmm. so sexual harassment doesn't have to be only in very violent physical forms mm -hmm. it can be implicit or explicit but the key is that it's a sexual conduct that is performed onto a person without the person's consent. consent like feeling safe about it yeah sometimes even with the person's consent but it's a forced consent like sometimes it's through fear and mm -hmm. submissiveness yeah that's important to mention yeah yeah so with sexual harassment honestly Japan wasn't the only place that I experienced it. I experienced forms of sexual harassment in so many different locations with different within different cultures. With a story in Japan, I was a research student on food anthropology and I was doing solo traveling and I was exploring the Zen philosophy behind their food culture that is practiced by pagodas. So I went to a pagoda mm -hmm. and I booked to sleep at this place, which is a part of the pagoda, for a few days so that I can talk to the monks. And on the first night that I was there, the monk that introduced me to the place he came to my room for an interview mm -hmm. uh, but when he stepped in he closed the door and he closed the balcony's door and instead of sitting on the chair he sat right next to me and he was sitting on the floor and he wasn't paying attention to the question i was asking but he was trying to like, touch me and so after a while After a few minutes, I asked him to leave and I said that I was tired and let's do this interview tomorrow in the morning or over emails so that he could think about these questions more deeply. That was the nicest I could convey my message that I was feeling uncomfortable. And so he stepped up and he... He tried to kiss me and, uh, is it too graphic? No, no, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, however you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's very vulnerable from you and very, you know, um, so. Yeah. Um, he, he leaned in to kiss me and I could feel his penis hmm. on my body and he was like, really trying to force it the intimacy and i pushed him away and he was like what are you doing and he said 
jokes, jokes, American jokes. Because he knew that I was doing a research paper for a university in the U.S. And he thought that it was a casual thing. That, that was what he explained. And he left and I locked the door. But I remember I was shaking, locking the door because the door was, was so fragile and... It looked like anyone could just open it and shove in. And I, I just locked the door and I went straight to sleep. But when I was sleeping, I was shaking. But I didn't think about it. I, I was just numbed. Like, I didn't know how to feel about it. And when I saw him the next day, he was performing this praying meditation, mm -hmm. like a ceremony that he do every day. I was so scared, but he approached me and it was like casual hellos. And I was still being nice to him. I was still smiling and I was telling myself that, oh, he was just a kid. And so you gave your gave excuses yeah. for him. Yes. Yeah. I didn't acknowledge that I was scared and I gave excuses for him. And then once I traveled back to from that place to Tokyo, I met my groups of research friends and professors and we had this small meeting where we shared our expeditions and I brought up the story, but in the form of a joke. I was like, oh my god, can you believe it? I was blah 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 and I was even <laughs> smiling and, and then when I looked up, I looked at my friends and professors' face, faces and they were all in shock. They were like, oh my god, Kitty, you experienced this and all by yourself? And so the shock that I received from them, it was the, like, the switch inside where I was like, oh my god, this is not normal at all. Why am I responding like this? And... A guy friend that was close to me, like he cried and my groups of friends, we all hugged and a lot of people cried because they also experienced forms of harassment like throughout their time being alive. And my story, it's like I share with you, I want to talk about this not because it's a unique or special story but i want to talk about it because it's so relatable like a lot of people experience these kind of things and they live in shame and denial they live in confusion and for me at that time after realizing that i was in denial about this i was even blaming myself i was asking myself why weren't i more assertive about this situation like Did I lead him on? Did I give signals? And why did I smile to him the next day and stuff like that? Like, why was I so weak? And why was I so... Just like, why, why, Kitty? Why do you do this? Because as a scholar, as someone who <laughs> is very deeply involved in the topics of humanity and um, <laughs> informed by <laughs> studies of psychology and stuff like that. And why did I respond like this? Because 
didn't it, I know better? Yeah. So that was yeah, that was the doubts and you know, we had the Denise Chung on our podcast yes. and she also explained her sexual harassment mm. uh, story and the same happened you know like at the moment mm. you don't re- you are in shock and then you don't realize that it is what it is so how was it for you to also realize what was the moment when you realized that this is mm. sexual harassment mm. because what i hear is that it's something you you don't realize at that moment but you take time of like process of going through pain denial and then later on mm. when you come to the point of putting the the definition mm. on the situation the moment when i saw the shock on my friends mm. faces i knew that I, I I saw a different way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. And so when you see this from someone else's point of view, it widens yours and and then I so with this experience, it's clear to me that even though I was brought up from a background where like I went to an international school and then with all these academy backgrounds but my body has not understood what it meant to speak up for myself because there were a lot of implicit discrimination in within the culture that I was brought up in which is uh, the environment I grew up in in Saigon where I still made a lot of excuses for like the man who touched yeah. me mm-hmm. and for <laughs> the woman who treated me in ways that were unkind. And we make excuses for these situations all the time because we didn't know better like we didn't have another perspective on it and even the people who are in it they don't know that they are doing something so horrible on another person i knew from my study from statistics that vietnam and southeast asia is one of the places where the conversation on humanity is least talked about it's not in the public awareness um so i knew about it intellectually and now after i have experienced harassment and seeing how i responded to it i knew that i am living what i learned which is i am not informed about these kind of things and i don't know how to react when it actually happens to me so when I came back to Vietnam and I talked to more people about this, people started to open up about their own stories. And the most common reaction I had was numbness. Like, yeah, our faces just turned blank because we, this is such a new perspective that we didn't know how to express and process. Mm-hmm. And... It gets a little bit sexual, but like we talk about sex and how 
with so many people, especially for women, the women that I talked to, they felt that the sex and their lives are just a part of the relationship where they didn't yeah. feel good, but they were just serving and they didn't know that it actually could be different. And with all of these conversations around how lives could be so massively different, I turned inward and I went through this process where I counsel myself. How do I talk about this? Like, How can yeah. I bring this conversation to more people? And... Mm, make living safer mm. you know your story when you said like it's in asia in vietnam people are not educated about this i heard stories in the west as well that mm. we women are not taught mm. in our education how to respect our own body mm. but i don't think it's only for women but also for men mm. because men also get harassed mm. but of course we women are more frequently mm -hmm. being a victim yeah. and this idea of respecting our own body is not taught openly in society so when the moment comes that it happens no one knows how to react and the first reaction is numbness as you said because we don't know how to react so we freeze and we stress we, we try to hide and the experience is just so new that you just think that you are crazy or you, there's something wrong with you. You start mm -hmm. to blame yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I'm happy that you want to open up conversation about this because I think the next generation needs to be more aware of mm -hmm. what sexual harassment means. Mm. Yeah. And sexual harassment is only one angle into topics of understanding I'm saying this because for men, perhaps sexual harassment might not be a big theme, but for men, it can be expressing one's vulnerability. Yeah, we have to deal with our own male toxicity mm. because we yes. grew up with so much mm. male toxicity and that's what's driven our society really. Mm. When you talked about sex, there is a confusion between sex and intimacy a lot of the time. Mm. That's because of, you know, porn movies where it is unfortunately very easy for men to fall into the wrong patterns mm. and like not understanding how to respect a woman's body. You talk about Southeast Asia and I'm sure the statistics are right, but in Canada, not even like five years ago, there was the commissioner of police that was saying that if the University of York campus wanted to decrease the number of sexual harassment or on campus then the girl should just stop wearing skirts. And that's like, yes. well, you can't educate guys to not just freaking harass girls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then so like you can see that there is layers and layers and layers of like... That's so wrong. Yeah. And I mean, it's it, first, thank you so much for sharing the story. It's still something that is not talk enough. And so for you to bring those conversations that are uneasy is very good. And so that leads us to why you create the the. Am I saying it wrong? Yes. No. No. Wait. The, the. Not wrong. 
as humans, we are so fluid. We change from time to time. To say that I am a patient person doesn't describe the entirety of me, because yeah. in one moment I can be patient about this, but the next I am not. And so our answers to questions of life change, and transform and develop when we flow with life. Mm. And so, so you're in a constant change, yeah. basically. And yes. and it's so true that we can have. The same, same questions, questions, but different answers, depending mm. on where we are in mm. life. So just for the listeners to understand what Tutu mm. is about, <laughs> can you explain how you bring this internal conversation mm. yes. for others? Tutu is a startup that creates original products to help us practice love and understanding in the everyday life. It sounds cheesy to say love and understanding, but we are incubating very practical tools that one can have to make it easier so to I see the... understand others and ourselves. Yeah, and so oh, oh no, sorry. I just saw that uh, there's a deck of cards, for example, like mm. what are the forms Yes, you do it? Yeah. And one form that we bring more loving understanding into our lives is through being curious about ourselves and other people instead of living based on assumptions and the fixed answers that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our first product is a deck of cards that ask questions. But these questions are a little bit different in a way that instead of asking, how are you? They ask, how are you, comma, really, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) So how are you really? And the language itself is more introspective and it inspires, hopefully, the person who's using it a bigger entry to the internal conversations so that they can check in with themselves they can check in their own answers at this moment and in the future they can go back and see how their flow is at yeah and that's just one product and there are so many creative ways that we can bring into the world that help us Remember kindness, curiosity, and open-mindedness a little bit more in life. I think it's really important what Mm. you are doing Mm. because we often forget to turn inward Mm. while we are busy with life and whether it's a deck of cards or someone give us a very deep question, let's say, in a day, it just helps us to ground and yeah, just check in. I think checking in is very important to do every yeah. day, no matter what kind of form. I think it, it relates to, to journaling uh, mm-hmm. that you mentioned before, where the purpose of journaling is you're trying to make sense of that emotional cocktail that you have right now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you express it through words and they come into the paper, then you're bound to one truth, which mm-hmm. is the one that is on the paper. And from that one truth, you can actually change. Mm. Maybe you go like, oh, actually what I wrote is definitely not what I feel. Mm. Like sometimes you feel triggered or angered 
by something and then you start talking about the reason why you're angry and you're like oh, actually there was nothing <laughs> the same with answering yeah. those questions it's triggering the right thoughts i think to go and fetching into those emotions that are seldomly talked mm. about and then putting one truth to it mm. or at, le at least trying to make words of how we feel about it mm. and then from that truth we can actually go okay so now how is the change you know that's beautiful at the though we have this community mm. where we are intentional about our work mm. as well as how we play and how we connect because we are constantly learning about what we're doing as mm. well. Mm -hmm. And we, we usually say that words and writings are like spells, mm. where when you say something and when you write it down, uh, or when you think a thought very clearly, it has a vibration of its own and mm. it resonates it expands and it manifests so yeah. whenever you write something down it's also an act of self-trust because you need to be brave enough to crystallize mm. this exactly. chaos in your head mm. into one single line and leave it at that knowing that it doesn't define who you are, but it will give you clarity. Yeah. And yeah. with conversations, when you give answers to vast questions, usually we feel, oh, actually my answer changed. Now that I have answered that, an hour later, my answer is deeper. Mm. And perhaps it provokes a little bit regrets like i oh god i wish that i have answered it differently probably when i leave this podcast i would be like oh <laughs> <laughs> there but. is a very negative connotation to the word change these days in mm. our society where we have to replace it with growth <laughs> mm. oh. but it's like if you change you're not yourself anymore where it's not mm. that you're allowed to change your mind mm. you're allowed to change your words but that primal reaction comes from the culture where we have not understood mm. that the nature of life is change. <laughs> and so <Bum>. <laughs> whenever <laughs> we're engaged in a conversation and we're brave enough to give an answer, mm. we're brave enough to honor ourselves at that single moment in time and knowing that even if we change our answers afterward, we're still worthy mm -hmm. and we're still beautiful. And the person who has received our answer, the moment when perhaps we weren't as wise or in the moment when we weren't ready, to be able to have a conversation is also to trust in that person's compassion, to trust that the person who receives our message also sees our change. Mm -hmm. And it's very intricate. It's a back and forth relationship with trust and the, liber the liberty to change and the freedom to, to express. A, yeah. It's like a dance. A dance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so back to the, the, the word though 
in Sino-Vietnamese, it can mean compassion. Because tờ in tờ bi mm-hmm. or nhân tờ uh, means compassion or unconditional love. And tờ also means tờ ngữ, which is uh, word. So with the power of compassionate word, we can give ourselves the space to slow down. I think the name really captures the spirits that we're going for here. Like we're using something very concrete mm-hmm. to lend space. So one question you asked was, what's difficult about being a creator? And I brought up this question to my team. And one one popular answer was that to let the other person know that we're not crazy. (laughs) 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 To let the other person know that this thing that we're doing, it comes from clarity, (laughs) not from wishy-washy, like wistful thinking and... uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think you shouldn't care about people judging anyway. (laughs) I I admire the the project. I really liked it. You can actually, for the audience, you can... Purchase it on the website at tutu.house. And actually, there's an online version if you want to play. And there are questions that really make you reflect mm. in a way. Yeah. Did you want to add anything to Tutu? I believe that we have fulfilled our initial intentions, each of mm-hmm. us. <laughs> mm-hmm. To sum up the conversation, for me being here, I would call it a miracle. For me, I like that word. It's a little bit fairy tale like, but for me, like conversations like this and meeting people who I feel so understood by and who just write on, vibrate with me. <laughs> it's one of the miracles in life where it feels so wonderful to be alive. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, uh, Kitty. Yes. <laughs> it was a pleasure to have you here. I think, again, everybody should check out the two. I think the questions are good because you can have them in English and also in Vietnamese. And I think that's very important for the generation here in Vietnam to actually talk about topics that are quite important. Again, Kitty, thank you so much for sharing um, all that information. Thank you so much for being vulnerable with us today. Mm. And we wish you the best for Tutu and all your future endeavors. Mm. And we'll be helping. <laughs> Yay! Yeah. Thank That's you it. so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Vietnam. If you like this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Also by sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.